Welcome back to Latina Leading Diversity, Angelique Alvarez, Head of Diversity at ATR International. This podcast is intended to cover various topics surrounding diversity within the workplace. Today, I have a special guest, Rahima Ramazani. Rahima is a multi-ethnic, neurodiverse, Muslim-American woman and a diversity, equity, inclusion, and intercultural practitioner. She founded her DEI business in 2021, which trains organizations on how to include Muslims and religious identity in existing DEI efforts. So welcome. Thank you so much for your time today. I would love to pass it to you just so that you could give a brief introduction about yourself. And I'm excited for today's discussion. Hi, Angelique. Thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners for joining us today. Uh, again, my name is Rahime Ramazani. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, and yeah, I work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm very lucky to have been working in this field for a number of years, as well as bringing my background with a master's in intercultural communication to the intersection of those two kinds of work, which I really, really love. Intercultural communication brings a lot of kind of recognizing that we are all a product of how we grew up. None of us were five, eight, 10-year-olds kind of critiquing the messages that we were just absorbing from the elders in our environment and be like, hmm, that's a very interesting thing that you just said about this group that we don't belong to. Can you please cite your sources on where you got that information? No, none of us were children being able to do that. And so recognizing that no matter what our mix of marginalized and privileged identities, most of us are a mix of privileged and marginalized identities, that whatever those mix is, uh, that we are going to be a product of how we grew up and how then that plays into as adults now, the stereotypes, the biases, it's natural to have biases. And that does play a role in our lives, just our brains don't like to think that much. So giving us shortcuts, but where does that become problematic? And then of course, getting into systems of bias and racism and all the isms of the world. Thank you so much. I had a couple questions we're going to cover today to hopefully educate others who are. Let's do it. Yeah. So my first question for you today would be what led you to this career path and how does your personal experience impact the work that you do? Yeah. Uh, Like a lot of folks who work in diversity, equity, inclusion, um, a lot of my personal background really is what led me to this work. Um, I am multi-ethnic, so I have a Iranian immigrant father and a white American uh, mother, and those cultures are very, very different, <laughs> even though the U.S. census thinks they're both white. So, yeah, that's not a thing, but okay. Uh, they have very different cultures, and I went through my bachelor's, got my, I took my very first intercultural communications course in my bachelor's level, and they described the difference between uh, direct versus indirect communication. It just blew my mind. (laughs) Like, it was like, this is the answer to my life. Like all these things that have happened with my parents and our families, anyone who's like multiracial, biracial, multiethnic, mixed in any way. A lot of us have kind of very similar experiences about like never quite fitting in so that definitely again I went from my bachelor's to my master's with intercultural communication and dug into that and through that field and going to different conferences I learned about the existence of diversity equity and inclusion and I really loved digging into that field more and more and again like I said I very much want to be at the intersection and do my work at the intersection of those two fields because 
with DEI, it definitely brings that lens of power and privilege and marginalization and that there are forces at work in all of our lives, systems at work that are uh, happening around us that we are a small part of, so we can as individuals influence it, but in the collective, there are things that are happening around us that are impacting our lives around and, you know, kind of going to a more like business case use around hiring, about retention, who's considered professional, who is not considered professional, who is considered promotable and who is not considered promotable and on and on and on based off of our identities and based also of systems of power. So I would definitely say that my beginnings in DEI work are based off of like my multi-ethnic background and also very much as you know you may see I am a visibly identifiable Muslim woman because I wear the headscarf called hijab um, not all Muslim women wear hijab and so I don't want to encourage anyone listening to this to think oh to be a Muslim woman means to wear a headscarf or that to be a religious Muslim woman or a good Muslim woman or any of these positives to be someone who wears hijab not at all there are many Muslim women. I know this is something that a lot of people are very curious about. So I'm just going to get ahead of the question. I, I love that you're educating others. Yeah. Um, well, and especially like I, I've talked to other um, Muslim women in the diversity, equity and inclusion field and just Muslim women in general, um, because, of course, I'm part of the reason I do this work is not just for like myself and as an individual, but you know, hopefully to make the world a better and inclusive place for everyone. And of course, a special attention to my own community, right? And so part of that being my siblings in faith, my sisters in faith, um, and I have Muslim sisters in faith who wear hijab, who don't wear hijab. Some of them wear niqab, which is where they cover their uh, face with just their eyes showing um, and wanting to take the opportunity as I have a platform to advocate for all of us and not ever, ever. And that's the point of my work in all ways, never, ever to be in competition with other identity groups, whether Muslims or not, to never be throwing my siblings in faith under the bus of like, I am holier than thou. I am better than them because I do X, Y, and Z thing, hijab or otherwise, never. Like Muslim women who choose to wear hijab, that's awesome. Muslim women who don't choose to wear hijab, that's awesome. They need to be just as respected and seen as actual Muslims from the non-Muslims in their workplaces, uh, in their communities, and so on. I know that there is a lot of issues around um, because there are so few Muslims that non-Muslims, especially, you know, my context is in the United States, but in the West in general, a lot of non-Muslims will never have necessarily the opportunity or will take the opportunity to actually get to know someone who is Muslim. So when they do meet a Muslim, that one individual is the person that they kind of like have as a template for all Muslims. And there are an estimated 1.8 to 2 billion Muslims in the world, about a fourth of the world population is Muslim. So it's just it's impossible to meet one individual and just use that as a paintbrush. That one individual and the way they live their life is completely valid, but you can't possibly, and this applies to other groups as well. You can't meet one black person, one Latina, one, pick any identity group and be like, that one person is my template for all groups. So in that way, when someone meets me or other Muslims as well, 
I want to be very clear about you can't get to know me as an individual if I share me Rahime as an individual or um, any Muslim that you might meet, that their actions doesn't mean that that is now the template to if you meet as a non-Muslim, another Muslim in the future, or like, oh, well, I met this person and they did this. Well, why don't you do that? Oh, I met this person and they didn't do that. So why don't you do that? That's something that I know a lot of Muslims in the West struggle with a lot because of this mm, non-Muslims not meeting a lot of Muslims. And I will say there are Muslims who I don't think very much help this situation. Um, for example, I had an experience where this was like one of the very first professional conferences I went to in my graduate program. And uh, we were in a workshop or I was in a workshop with a you know bunch of people in a hotel room, right? Anyone who's been to a conference knows like the setup. And so there was, it was about, um, I believe it was like about Arab identity, which not all Muslims are Arab and not all Arabs are Muslim. So it wasn't a Muslim conversation. It was more about like Arab identity overall. The speaker was an Arab woman and she's not Muslim. And um, I'm sitting there as the only hijabi or Muslim woman wearing hijab in the room. Um, and anyone who is a Muslim woman wearing hijab or hijabi uh, knows that there's a lot of like attention from just like sticking out. You just stick out a lot. Uh, being the only in a room, I think other folks who have experienced being the only in a room can kind of get a sense of that. Um, I don't want to like compare more or less, but especially wearing like if you wear like bright colors, it it stands out a lot. So you just kind of walk around getting used to uh, attention slash stare slash people kind of keeping you in their periphery. And since I've been wearing hijab since I was 11 years old, I've definitely like you I'm used to it. It doesn't even like occur to me anymore. Or I'm just used to performing being nice and non-threatening but that's a whole other conversation um so i'm in this conference room i'm the only hijabi in the room and um at some point it comes up about hijab or something and another muslim woman she this woman is older than me again so i'm in my like mid-20s at this time because i'm in my master's i did go straight from bachelor's to master's if that matters but just as far as my age because like hierarchy and kind of like the dynamics of um, of identity play into this. So this Muslim woman who's probably in her 40s or 50s doesn't wear hijab, you know, shares to the group in some appropriate, somehow it had come up that she really believes that hijab is made up. It's not a thing. It's man-made. It's not actually part of the religion of Islam. Um, and I'm sitting there in hijab. The only Muslim woman is sitting there in hijab. And I just feel so small and I just feel so thrown under the bus like there are already so many non-Muslims who either have like genuine curiosity hopefully and like why would you do that like that's so odd why would you want to stand out that way and kind of more well-intentioned curiosity and then there are others are like that's so weird that's so bizarre that's so like some negative quality right so there are already so much thoughts around hijab. And so for me to have a Muslim woman stand in a like an audience with me in the room to just declare that this is made up, I really felt like she was throwing me under the bus. And at the time, this had never happened to me before. And so I didn't have the language that I have now about it. But I did actually like somehow end up sitting next to her 
after the workshop that day, I didn't go like after her to say anything, but somehow like I would say, you know, God, but like the universe, whatever you want to call it, like brought us together to sit. And I was able to express that it's not that you don't have the right to that opinion and not at all, but by you saying that in front of all of these non-Muslims, it's throwing me your sibling in faith under the bus. And now they're like, well, we already thought you were weird for doing this. And now your Muslim like fellow is also saying that you shouldn't be doing this. So what is your problem? How do you even prepare yourself to be in a position like that? Right? Well, yeah. And so thankfully now it's been so long. Things like this have happened, unfortunately, a number of times. So like you give yourself time to, I don't know if you've ever had this situation, Angelique, and I promise I will turn the mic over to you and stop <laughs> talking at some um but i don't know if you've ever had this experience um or anyone listening has had this experience but just like when something happens to you for the first time like this you just kind of feel gross you're like hmm, that wasn't a pleasant experience but i don't know why like i'm not sure why this doesn't feel right and it kind of has to sit in your heart or in the back of your head and you kind of chew on it and you're like hmm why was that like such an uncomfortable experience and then eventually you have the language for it. So that's what in the case for me, it's been so long. And again, it's happened a couple of times. So it's given me the language to share that, like, essentially, it's again, not that these people who have this opinion, I'm talking specifically about hijab, but in the same way, any other subject of this is what it means to be a good Muslim or to be Muslim at all or whatever, whatever. Um, or a part of any group. I know that there are a lot of groups that are like, oh, in order to be a real like Latina, you have to speak Spanish or you have to look a certain way or you have to dress a certain way. Like, no, no, not at all. Um, and the same thing for Muslims as well. So the idea is like, it's not that you don't have the right to that opinion, but by you sharing it in the way that you framed it in front of all these non-Muslims, especially with, in this case, a hijabi in the room, you have like actively throw me under the bus, which is not something that I would ever want to do personally. So in the same way, like when I have a speaking engagement or a workshop or a training, for me, it's not a matter of taking the opportunity to share with the non-Muslim audience. Uh, this is how I recognize an individual are Muslim, and Muslim. And again, there are 1.8 to 2 billion Muslims. There's so much diversity within the Muslim world community, even if you're just looking at it from a religious standpoint. But then, of course, there's like different um, political leanings. There's different uh, genders. There's different uh, socioeconomic statuses, education levels. There's going to be regional cultures and uh, sociopolitical cultures that absolutely play into someone's life and how they choose to live their life and not just their faith, just like anyone with any sort of faith or spiritual practice, hopefully you think the same way that your faith, your spiritual practice is one part of your identity. And you also will make decisions, whether like well thought out or gut in the moment making decisions that are based off of many other things going on in your life. So Muslims are no different. Um, so just bringing uh, my point to the head is just that I would never want to use the platform that I am very grateful to have created to then <laughs> to in turn throw my siblings in faith, men, women, anyone 
uh, under the bus because they don't practice like I practice. And going back to share, thank you for sharing that story. I mean, because we all are vulnerable at one state in our career. Mm -hmm. I'm in different experiences. It's one of those things where you're in the shower, like I should have said this and I would have said that. Darn, why didn't I think that? Yeah. So caught off guard. But, you know, I'm assuming, you know, I don't want to assume, but I can imagine that that experience has really led you to have that better understanding in what you've experienced. Yeah. To even think this way about that, because if you wouldn't have experienced that, you wouldn't have made it a point to make sure that you're also, you know, calling this out first. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All of our experiences really bring us to who we are and how we, you know, convey different messages Mm. and messaging and going to, you know, religious diversity overall, you know, in the workplace. Um, What does that mean, you know, essentially, and, you know, what is it, how important is it for a company to understand the importance of it? For their employees. Yeah. So I would make the case that there is probably already, there's probably already religious diversity in yeah. your organization. Um, unless you have an incredibly homogenous uh, employee population. And again, this also applies to your clients and customers as well, right? One of the business cases for. DEI. I don't love making or like leaning on the business case too much, but I do think it has its place. So, you know, in this case, bringing that out, um, it's not just your staff, which yes, your staff are, you know, ideally uh, of diverse backgrounds, but also your customers and clients are also probably very diverse, especially uh, if you're in the United States and the West in general, um, you are selling products to all different kinds of people. And so your services, your products are going to be all the better for having diverse staff who are then bringing in their lived experiences and, oh, so the people from this group will really like this or will resonate with this, or we can make it more appealing to this other demographic by making this little tweak and so on. So with that being said, I would make the case that there is a very high likelihood that you already have religious diversity in your organization. And because we don't have the language or uh, religious diversity and inclusion has not been a part of DEI overall, like almost not at all. It's barely even uh, mentioned. I have very few peers in the DEI space who also work on religious inclusion. I'm like slowly identifying a couple of people that I really love and want to partner with. And, you know, if people don't want to work with me, being able to have them like, okay, you still need to do religious inclusion. If you don't resonate with my message or how I speak, not a problem, please still do this work. You can work with these other people and slowly they're coming out of the woodwork and I'm finding them, but really there are so, so few compared to other parts of identity, like race and sexual orientation and gender and so on. And again, I do want to like, include again, as I mentioned earlier, this work that I'm doing is never ever meant to be in competition with other identity groups. Other identity groups, as I said, sexual orientation, race, gender, neurodiversity, disability, I'm also seeing coming up and coming. They absolutely all need the attention uh, that I'm calling for for religion. And also, in turn, religious identity should be included uh, within DEI efforts, ERGs, and and so on. So the idea with, uh, if you already have religious diversity, which again, I'm very willing to bet you do, then 
if you don't actively go out of your way to make space for recognizing it, honoring people's different lived experiences, making sure that they feel included, making sure that they are respected and valued for who they are, then this is going to be a playground for discrimination, for harassment, for microaggressions. People are going to be burying and hiding their identities as much as possible because they feel like there isn't psychological safety or physical safety to be who they are. And again, if you've gone out of your way to hire and retain these diverse groups of people, the whole point is that their different lived experience is going to add so much to your organization, to your products and services as well. And then you don't get to benefit from all of that diversity that you've gone out of your way to attract and then retain. So I would say that uh, religious diversity is something that is incredibly, incredibly important. And I cannot tell you how many conversations I have had I'm sorry, like I have to keep this anonymous because people share with me, you know, privately, but I like I cannot emphasize how many conversations, how many private direct messages, how much private like messages on Zoom calls or something like that, where people have sent me uh, messages or I've had conversations on Zoom with people who I thought were like non-religious or, you know, didn't care about religion because they've never acknowledged it only to say, oh, this is something that is a really important part of my life. And I don't ever feel like I can dare to say anything because it's just not safe or I don't know if it's safe. And so I just like completely ignore this part of my life. But it's actually a really core part of who I am. Thank you so much. And, you know, um, just going back to what you said where you don't really see it. I mean, I've been in my diversity role for over 10 years and I have yet to really come across anyone, mm. you know, discussing religious mm. diversity until I came across your page, which you do an incredible job really sharing information. I've complimented you when we first met. Um, you know, I was, I'm influenced by your post and educated by your post. So if, if no one's following you, uh, <laughs> please follow and, and look her up on LinkedIn because there's so much that you're doing. It's so inspiring, whether it's just diversity overall, right? What can we be sharing? How can we mm. be educating others? How can we be supporting others? So, so thank you. You are definitely doing a great job. I feel like what we covered last really goes into the next question, which I had, which is, you know, the workplace is made up of different varieties of faiths and beliefs. How can companies acknowledge religious differences throughout mm. the year? For example, you know, religious holidays, mm holidays, dress codes, food restrictions. What are some examples? I know that, you know, when it comes to hiring, there's some limitations. Mm. You can say that there's no discrimination, but it's important to be inclusive, right? Of, mm. And so what are some examples or have there been anything where you, yeah. you can share is something that's important for a company to consider? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that, yes, holidays are a big deal and also kind of like the first thing that people think of. And if you have done anything around religious inclusion, that's probably the first thing that you've done. So good. And also let's definitely level up. Um, the idea, especially since we are in uh, December right now, we are like a lot of companies are doing 
uh, holiday parties or Christmas parties specifically. So I would just make sure to include the most timely message would be to keep in mind that not everyone celebrates uh, Christmas. This applies to Muslims, but also other folks as well. Uh, and the idea is not to like cancel Christmas, but just to decenter it. Uh, keep in mind that there are other holidays that are happening around this time of year and asking your staff and employees what would be inclusive to them because any DEI trainer, myself included, even if we are talking about our own identity groups, there are always going to be exceptions. We are speaking in generalities and we have to because we don't know the specific context of your organization. And that's why you hire someone who as a consultant, as a trainer, so that they can get to know your actual situation and then apply these generalities to your specific situation. So keeping in mind as you listen to this, to not say, oh, well, Rahime, this person who's this expert said this thing. So therefore, like you have to take these generalities and apply it to the actual people in your organization, ask them for their feedback, ask them what matters to them. And then they see that the balance is, of course, that you have you've shown that you've done some due diligence, you've done some learning on your own. So you're not coming to them asking to educate about their identities from scratch with just like, oh, just educate me when you didn't even Google it. Like, what is Ramadan? What or uh, what other holidays exist in December? Like literally any work that you've done on your own. If you've done that, then when you go to your org your employees, that's going to show that you really do want to learn. You've gone out of your way to educate yourself for what you can. And now you're trying to tailor those accommodations and inclusive practices to the actual people in your organization, which will mean that they feel so much more respected and valued. Also keeping in mind that your staff is probably not in their job description to educate you on their identity groups. Um, so like, and there are folks who want to keep parts of their identities to themselves. Um, there are people who, again, like it is a skill to be able to speak on different identities in a way that isn't inclusive at all. There are Muslims that I have met, for instance, who very much when they speak about Islam, the religion and Muslims in general, uh, that they very much only speak from their lived experience and their way of practicing the religion. And it's not to say, again, that their way of practicing the religion or their lived experience is not valid. It is. But you have to be able to speak in general, in general, in generalities about what many Muslims or what many people in a different group experience and differences within that. So I would just say, ideally, you are not just using your employees to like do this labor, which is not part of their job description. It's not something that they volunteered for. It's not something that they have consented to. And it's not something that they might actually be skilled in doing. Right. Uh, so I would say, yes, holidays, uh, keeping in mind that outside of the, you know, Gregorian calendar holidays um, that are listed as like national holidays and so on. Um, the idea is to keep in mind that other faiths and spiritual practices have holidays that fall outside of the days that are going to be off. So ideally, you are uh, allowing them to take time off for their own religious holidays that are at different times of the year. Uh, I know that this past Ramadan, and Ramadan for anyone who doesn't know, is a month-long 
a very spiritual time. It's the most spiritual time of the year for Muslims, where we will fast uh, from all food and water from sunrise to sunset uh, for for a month. And it is a deeply spiritual time, a time of community, a, a time of spiritual reawakening and rejuvenating our faith. Um, it's very important. It's very vague. Um, and that is something that's coming up in March of this year. It does change slightly every year. So that's a whole other conversation, um, which, you know, you can look into that. There are materials on uh, my website or I will be doing. I'm already planning out a lot of content uh, to be putting out on LinkedIn and other social platforms around Ramadan. Um, so having said that, like that this past Ramadan in 2022, which was in April, that there were already there were people Muslims who put in time off requests like a month two months like very well ahead of time to take time off for uh, Eid al-Fitr which is the celebration at the end of Ramadan not a yay it's over Muslims again really look forward to the month of Ramadan it's a time that you know we love a lot however it's also a like hooray it happened we're very lucky that we were around to participate that we were able to participate and we're looking forward to next year and uh, like we did it sort of like vibe um i just say that because i know a lot of non-muslims when they hear about ramadan for the first time they're like oh my god you have to fast that long like i could never that's so horrible like so just keep in mind like it's 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 a positive for muslims and like you say like i tried to juice once and and it, and it lasted like three hours yeah that was just juice that wasn't even like from any yeah, yeah. so so I commend the commitment and it just shows the mental state that you need to be in and this yeah I mean the support of you know the company that you work for your your co-workers your friends and so you know the importance of a company being intentional mm. to understand and to also know and have mm. a place correct for for their employees to be able to share something that they're going to be celebrating and yeah. being celebrated as well yeah yeah if they you know if your employees who are participating in ramadan um who are fasting i mean specifically um because there are other ways of course to participate in ramadan other than fasting there are muslims who will not be fasting for various um religious uh, exemption reasons. Um, rum fasting during Ramadan is never meant to harm someone's body. So if someone is sick, has a disability or an illness that, uh, not eating and drinking for that long is going to actively harm their body, then they do not need to fast. Travelers don't fast. Uh, most pregnant women will choose and opt out of fasting. I know some pregnant women who have fasted, but it really is like up to them how safe they feel for themselves and their child and, you know, in being in communication with their doctor. Children under the age of puberty don't fast. So like there are all these like exceptions, which again, like for time, I'm, I'm not able to like dig too, too far in. But the idea of like being inclusive of different faiths and using Muslims specifically as an example is like making sure that you are allowing your staff time off for E, the fits at the end of Ramadan, even if it falls on a date that isn't super convenient for your organization. Um, this is something that is a really, really important time for Muslims. And if you are putting your money where the mouth is, walking the walk and not just talking the talk, this is something that's very important uh, to do. I know a lot of our Jewish siblings uh, have many religious holidays that fall throughout the year and making sure that they have time off something that Jews and Muslims share about our religious faith is that our 
days actually start at sunset and then go to the next day and then end at sunset the next day. And so like Fridays are very important. I believe for both Muslims and Jews, Muslims have our co congregational prayer or Juma prayers, uh, which are kind of like the equivalent of Sunday services for Christians on Sunday, but Muslims have it on Friday afternoons. I know Friday nights are very important for uh, our Jewish siblings. Um, and of course there are many other faiths to be represented, Buddhists, Baha'is, Hindus, and then also we want to make space for atheists, agnostics, and folks who are non-religious. And that's part of the work that I do as well as making sure that we are not um, bringing in the concept of faith or spirituality in the sense that everyone identifies in this way. There are many folks who are non-religious or again, atheists or agnostic, and those folks absolutely must be respected as well. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I know that we even you know, with the, with the knowledge that I've come across and, and obviously there's so much more to learn mm. just in sharing, like for your company potlucks to respect yeah. one that chooses to opt out of, you know, eating at the potluck for yeah. whatever reason. Right. Or so there's so much to know and education. Yeah. Really. So thank you for sharing that. Well, and you mentioned right about you, you mentioned earlier about like food and um, dietary restrictions or accommodations. Right. I know there was something that I saw on LinkedIn um, last week that was really uh, it made me chuckle. And it was from another Muslim woman who does this kind of work. She's in the UK uh, and about like, OK, so you've invited um, your Muslim staff to this in this case, we're talking a lot about Christmas at this time of year, but your, you know, group work place party or celebration or potluck or whatever. But then you've done nothing to make sure that there's anything that we can eat. Uh, so we're just standing. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to both in my personal life and professionally where there was nothing that I was able to eat. Um, I do observe like um, halal eating. So uh, no pork, no alcohol. There, the meat has to be halal if um, like, so even if it's beef or lamb or something like that, it has to be slaughtered in a certain way. So that's a whole other thing. Um, so halal has its own, you know, kind of restrictions, but, um, which I do observe. And if there's nothing like that, uh, if there's meat, non-halal meat in, you know, pretty much all of the dishes or, um, uh, something like that, then I'm basically eating like salad or, and rolls like the whole night. And it feels really, it doesn't give me a sense of belonging. It doesn't feel like I am really cared about. I'm very much an afterthought or like, oh, you're fine just eating that all day. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm great. Yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I like everyone else is eating and you're sitting there and you don't want to make it like it's it's it is really embarrassing. Not everyone experiences this the same way for me. It definitely makes me feel small. It makes like you kind of like try and laugh it off so people don't see that it really bothers you but it really does bother you you don't feel a sense like that your organization cares about you or again i've done i've had this experience in my personal life as well yeah so it's 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 not great i mean even so much as the conference you go to a conference the diversity conference has that and it's you know if, are there any dietary restrictions yes you know um, just anything that you can share. I mean, do you think that it would be important for companies to send out an annual survey or a quarterly survey of that because you're hiring so many, so much different talent or should there be like a standard practice depending on size of a company? I mean, obviously these are just conversations. About food? Yeah, about food. I mean, because as we're starting to get back into the office, yeah. a lot of remote, we've had the flexibility of being able to eat what we want at mm -hmm. home. 
but we're transitioning into a different time. Companies are hiring, you know. Yeah, yeah. Talent, like there's going to be the potluck that they're going to have. And yeah. so would, would a survey be best practice? I mean, if, if not everyone has a, you know, an organization where they can just, it's small enough to come to HR. Yeah, or yeah. HR even making it comfortable. Is it more comfortable for them to send out that information? Yeah. Yeah having to kind of excuse me like I, I would like to note that and yeah something as simple as that yeah no I yes absolutely I do think sending out a survey and not just about dietary accommodations or restrictions any accommodations that are needed so bringing in another part of diversity being disability right is there going to be any needs for someone uh, in your organization related to a disability or an illness? Do you need to have um, translators? Uh, do you need an ASL interpreter? Do you need, like, are there going to be ramps? Are there going to be mics? Something, oh, this is something that bothers me so, so much because I've seen it at a number of conferences. This was pre-pandemic. Um I haven't gone to any conferences since and I love conferences. So I'm very much looking forward to the next time I get to go to one. Um, but they would have this giant hall and the mic wasn't like quite working very well. So the person giving the workshop or the talk or whatever is like, oh, can everyone just hear me? And it was like, no, no, they can't. There are so many people who are sitting in the back or the front, uh, especially people who are elderly or anyone who has hearing loss they cannot hear you without a mic. Like you are not shouting <laughs> loud enough for people to hear you. And this happened over multiple sessions that I personally attended. Of course, there are many sessions that I did not attend that I'm sure it happened as well. And it was just, that's just completely inexcusable. Like there has to be mics. There has to be physical accommodations made. So going back to your original point with workplace um, events, parties, and so on, sending out a survey ahead of time that is going to be looking for accommodations or restrictions that the folks doing the planning on the uh, front end can actively bake into the event instead of after the fact having to like apologize and, you know, rebuild trust. Right. Uh, so, you know, having specific questions around diet, there's a lot of folks who have allergies. There's a lot of people who uh, are lactose intolerant. I recently looked this stat up like 30, 40 percent, I think, of the United States. Fact check me on that um, are lactose intolerant and like 60 plus percent of the world is lactose intolerant. It's like, so, yeah, have a dairy free option and so on. Well, even just as simple as having reserved seats because you go to a workshop, you know, at a conference and you keep kind of a free-for-all so you have you know a certain amount of seats for someone who may you know need to sit in the field would even be yeah. so important for any event planner any organization that's thinking about having an event to really consider this trip yeah. are all of these things concerned. yeah so hopefully someone out there who is planning an event is going to think about this and is yeah. going to thank you and send you a message and give you some i would love that yeah <laughs> so a couple more questions i just had two more um, first one would be, you know, as a staffing company, ATR, mm. you know, we, we hire professionals of all different backgrounds across mm. the United States. Um, we know representation matters and now more than ever businesses, you know, that we work with are looking to create more diverse teams and hire more mm. diverse talent. Um, so outside of race, um, you know, how can companies be more inclusive in their hiring? Um, or even, you know, we touched on this a little bit, um, the benefits of different religions being reflected in companies. I would say that given that the organizations that have 
put out publicly that they care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. By now, most organizations who are going to do that have done that. Um, and of course, there's always going to be new organizations who, you know, are pressured or find that it is important, which that is wonderful. But for the most part, the organizations that do exist now, they've kind of staked their claim either, you know, for or against. Okay. So assuming that you are an organization that has put out a DEI statement, who has maybe a chief diversity officer or inclusion officer, uh, you have a statement that, um, you know, you hire inclusively based off of, um, merit and not based off of identity and all of these, you know, kind of um, basic level things. Something that I would keep in mind as an organization is that there are many um, other organizations who have done these things very performatively and people who are looking to get a new job at your organization are aware of this. They are not going to be fooled by having stock images of different diverse kinds of people on your website. Um, if your C-suite, your manager level, your director level that is on your website, or they go on your company's LinkedIn and they look at who are the leaders in your organization and they are all uh, the same kind of person visually at least. You need to be able to have some sort of proof ahead of time while they're uh, looking to apply to your organization as to why this is actually really a commitment for your organization. Something that I recommend is if you have a social media presence on for your organization, which a lot of organizations do have some sort of social media presence on whatever platform you have, making sure that you are recognizing right the holidays for different groups. That is something that is going to be a green flag for them to then investigate like, oh, this is a group that recognizes Muslims and Jews and Buddhists and Hindus and atheists. And I met someone recently who was very kind about sharing her pagan identity and the different holidays that she is a pagan celebrates and so on and so forth. This is going to be the same thing of like all these organizations that put a black square on Instagram for Black Lives Matter in 2020. And yet what has been done since then, right? So there are a lot of folks, again, who are like, okay, you know how to do the performative things. Okay, that's interesting. But let me see what you have actually done. If you've committed uh, to donating a certain amount of money to certain causes, did you actually do that? And if you did, amazing, show that. Show that you did that because that's very much going to distinguish you from other organizations. Make sure as much as possible that when you have a hiring panel or if you meet with people in the hiring process one-on-one -on -one over multiple uh, interviews, that the people doing the interviewing and the hiring are diverse themselves. I can't tell you how many times I've had feedback from people in my own life. And you're right, because again, I'm not just representing myself and my own lived experience in this work, working with other people to say, hey, as a Muslim, as someone else from another identity group, what is meaningful to you? Because what might be meaningful to me, Rahima as an individual, is something not necessarily meaningful to others and vice versa. So making sure that I'm very active about con continuously collecting feedback of what is uh, meaningful to a wide diversity of people. So them then sharing 
how meaningful it is to see someone like them on the hiring panel. They're like, oh, if there is someone already like me in this organization and they are in the position where they're actively being a part of hiring, right? So they're actually someone with some sort of stature in the organization, then that is a green flag for me going forward. Thank you so much. can't agree more. Um, educating ourselves, you know, and our teams is key to awareness, um, you know, when it comes to religious diversity in the workplace. I would love to share some of what your business offers. You know, I think it's so important uh, as I'm sure those who are listening can see the commitment that you've had to educating yourself, uh, you know, but will some of these organizations, mid-sized companies, mm. you know, and some large companies, smaller companies with the commitment, I know that you mm-hmm. said you work with a variety of different sizes of, of businesses, mm. but there's that commitment, correct? Yes. Um, you know, what are some examples of, you know, webinars that you offer, speaking engagements, how mm. can they follow you, you know, um, what do you offer that can create an inclusive culture that can be a benefit for someone who wants to take that commitment to the next level? Thank you. Yes. So if you would like to get to know my voice or my work, uh, my approach to this kind of work, I really encourage you to check out uh, my website, rahimeramazani.com. Yes, I'm sorry. You will have to spell my name correctly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, rahimeramazani.com. And I'm also very active on um, LinkedIn, Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. So there are materials there for you to like investigate further about my voice and perspective and how I approach this work. Excuse me. Um, However, if you are an organization that is ready to do religious inclusion work, if you want to do Muslim inclusion work, specifically, again, as a Muslim, I specialize very much in Muslim inclusion, but religious diversity inclusion overall, um, I do offer trainings workshops, trainings. Uh, That is definitely the bread and butter of my business. Uh, And what I love, as I mentioned earlier, is that when I post on social media, when I do these podcasts, when I do kind of like general speaking or content creation, I have to keep it on a general level because I don't have a specific context that I'm applying it to. And so there's always going to be kind of like flaws if an organization or individual like learns from a piece of content from myself as well as other content creators or people who put out uh, lectures on YouTube or podcasts or anything like in order to do like justice to the topic we have to keep it general because we're talking to a general audience and the amazing thing about hiring any consultant or any trainer on any subject is that ideally if they are good at their job that they are doing a lot of discovery in their calls with you so that they can apply the very specific context of your organization your pain points what is it that's going well what are the questions that your staff have that your c-suite have and so on Uh, so the idea again of doing muslim inclusion or religious inclusion trainings in your organization last week i just had a really amazing training with a university uh, in Canada where I was talking to their athletics department, right? And so being able to apply, oh, okay, so looking at Muslim inclusion and religious inclusion in general, what is it that an athletics department at a college in Canada can specify and then tailoring it very specifically to that? Right. Um, I also do offer speaking engagements, uh, subject matter expertise. So if you're doing any curriculum or you're doing any course creation, that is something that I am also uh, able to be hired for. Well, it's a great, you know, opportunity for those who do support, you know, supplier diversity and who have the commitment to diversity to support a woman-owned business. I thank yeah. you so much for your time and your expertise, educating the friendship that we've. Thank you. Yes. About. 
Well, we haven't had a chance to meet in person. We will. We're both in the area, so it's going to happen. And it's important to note that this topic really can be applied across all groups. And just as a reminder, so thank you so much. I appreciate you, um, and I look forward to hopefully business to come or, you know, just thank you, you know, company growth when it comes to diversity. Thank you so much. Thank you, Angelique.